How how do you do? Hey, I am Cece. I'm Alex. I'm James. And welcome to this week's episode of the 13th Floor Podcast. Today we're here to talk about something I'd never heard of before. Prior to last week when we drew it out of the vase, and that is the Uncanny Valley. I can't, still can't believe you've never heard of it before. I'm sure I've, I'd heard of it in like conversation and passing, but I didn't understand what it was. So, Did James, you hear our dog itching herself? Sounds like a small helicopter flying off in the background. It did. You might be able to hear it, listener. <laughs> um, how are you guys doing today? Doing well. Doing Just, well. Uh, nothing special going on over here. I've had like this headache that surges about two thirty every day for like a week and a half now. Yeah, it's been hmm. real nice. Yeah, it made for a great Mother's Day. Yeah, yeah. We celebrated Mother's Day. That was nice. <laughs> Alex got me this this drink because I've been all into like different drinks lately. So he got me something called Bloom, so I can make a lavender latte, James. Hmm. Neat. Who doesn't want a lavender latte? I know I do. Lavender latte sounds like an Animal Crossing character. Oh, it does. Yeah. Lavender latte. Well, you know what? I don't play Animal Crossing, so I can't. Really Neither do speak I. To but that. I know. I know them when I see them. <laughs> <laughs> James, what have you been up to? Uh, well, I just wrapped up in Vinercon, and I am going to hibernate for about a week, and then I'm probably going to go on vacation. Sounds beautiful. Yeah. Enjoy. Yeah. Enjoy doing whatever. Illegal poaching activities you're into, James. <laughs> Alex, oh my god. <laughs> Just goodness. kidding. We all know James would never do any of that stuff. No. Yeah. He loves his animals and too much. He's a heart of gold. Or maybe it's like a heart of ivory that he's carved out of tusks. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that I think that if anything, James's heart is made of little, little molten insects. And, oh my god. Oh my goodness. No. This is the weirdest conversation I've had with you guys. We, you know what? Sometimes we can get a little weird. Normally, you're on the you're on that end of the spectrum, but yeah. today we're taking up the charge. Yeah, I was gonna say his heart's pr- probably made of uh, robot parts since he wants to be transhuman, right? Mm. Isn't that what it's called? Transhuman. Yeah, no, you got it. Yeah, he I wants got to be it. a golem. He wants to be a mind in a computer that lives forever. Yep. Pretty sure that's what He's- reality is, anyway. Though, let's get into it. Just kidding. We're not here to talk about that day. We're here to talk about the Uncanny Valley, as submitted to us by Alan. Alan, thank you so much for sending in this topic. It was very um, interesting and also unsettling at the very same time. I may or may not have had a nightmare about marionettes last night, but we'll talk about that later. Mm. Yes. Are you guys ready to give our hearty hellos to everyone around the world? Sure am. Okay. Do, 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 do. By the way, we got a special shout out from Missouri today. Missouri? Yeah. Wow. Didn't we Didn't we say hearty hello to them last week? We did, and that's why they sent us a uh, mom joke to counter the dad jokes from uh, last time. Oh, <laughs> what they, what's their joke? <clears throat> this is from Teresa in Missouri. I used to be a 36B. Now I'm a 38 long. <laughs> okay. You don't even get it, do you, Alex? Is this pant sizes? Or- bra sizes. <laughs> oh, it's bra sizes. Yeah, I know what 36, but I don't know what 36 long is. 36 the joke is that long. as a woman ages, oh, there we go. Yeah. See, there you go. That's Alex's. Alex. There you go. Uh oh. Uh oh. Wait one second. Gwen is calling. One second. Uh. Did you hear her? 
No. Uh, chartreuse was twerking upside down and fell. Chartreuse was twerking? Upsi- I'm sorry. Why is Chartreuse twerking so much? What do you have her watching in that room? She, she uh, this time of night is when she goes around and puts webs up everywhere. And you got to twerk to do that. Well, but what's crazy uh, is how prolific she is. I mean, like she literally will like crawl up an inch or two upside down to just put webbing on the wall, like like way, way higher up than she would ever need it. I, I don't know. It's weird. She's got plans James, oh, yeah. for those webs. Oh, yeah. This this whole enclosure yet. eventually is just going to be one big web. I think that what she's trying to do is make a web that is big enough for you. I knew you were going to say that. Yeah, she's going to be like one of those spiders from the movie The Mist uh, that like captures entire humans. That reminds me of the most annoying and common snake myth I hear. I hear this anytime people talk about pet snakes. I'm not I don't want a pet snake cuz I like mice, but I like snakes. And you hear this all the time. People swear it's true. They're like, "Well, I know a fellow who bought a snake and it it kept uh laying on top of him and he thought it was cute and then one day he mentions to the vet that it would lay on top of him and the vet said oh yeah it's measuring you to see if you fit and it's like that's never happened Uh, they're not smart enough to do that first of all this idea that snakes measure people to see if they can swallow them whole uh, it's just insane but you hear it all the time i do i have heard that before but james how do you know that the snake isn't smart enough well, because they're just not very clever. Their their brains James, are teeny. James, have you ever slithered in the body of a snake before? <laughs> I have How not. How you make that assumption? I, I know humans who aren't good at planning for the next day. They just live every day like it's the only day that exists. So I'm calling it based on that. For a second, I thought you were about to make a joke about my complete inability to measure and gauge space. Ah. Uh. But you didn't, so thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> Alex is coming back down the stairs. He had to go put Gwen in her place because it's bedtime, and she's just up there partying. She's partying hard, James. She's not partying like chartreuse, but... Yeah, chartreuse is going nuts. Yeah. We were just talking about snakes. Oh. Anyways. Okay, is it time for our hearty hellos? Yep. Yeah. Let's back, get back to that. Okay, you guys. Today we're going to give a shout-out to Sweden. Let's go to Canada for a second. See who's listening in Canada. Ooh, the Canada map is crazy highlighted right now. We're going to say hello to everybody in New Brunswick that's listening from New Brunswick. And here in the United States of America, we are going to say hearty hello to all of our listeners in Mississippi. 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 So wherever you're listening around the world, thank you for tuning in. It warms our hearts that we have listeners literally all over the globe yeah something i never thought that i would ever be able to say but it's awesome yeah thank you guys do we have an icebreaker today i think we're ready to just hop right into that yeah we talked about twerking spiders already so i think we're good twerking spiders measuring snakes which don't exist according to james because james doesn't think that snakes can be smart well here's an easy easy one um what what thing approaches the uncanny valley that you find most oh actually better what is your earliest memory wherein you experienced the uncanny valley? I I think that mine was probably when I was like maybe I can't remember what year my grandmother passed away, 
But I've got my MAGA on my dad's side, and she is still with us, thank God. And then on my mom's side of the family, she passed away when I was younger. And when she died, we inherited all of her stuff, and she had quite a number of porcelain dolls. Knew that's where this was going to go. Oh, yes. She had quite a number of porcelain dolls, and they were just put in my room when I was little. And so those things, that's probably the first time in my life that I was like actually scared of an object was mm. those dolls. Alex, what about you? Oh, oh, that's tough. I mean, you know, there's been dolls that are creepy, I guess, but I don't know. You, you watch a lot of movies and play a lot of video games. You see a lot of stuff like definitely like off. Yeah. And not, not quite where it should be. So it's probably over there. I don't, I don't really have a good recollection of this. Alex is, this is the thing about Alex, and I know we've mentioned it before, but he's not bothered by things very often. So it takes a lot to really get under his skin and like creep him out. Mm. Yeah. Unless it's ringworm, then it could probably get under there no problem. Ew, gross Alex. (laughs) James, what about you? Um, Easily. I remember going to uh, an antique store when I was really little and... There was an old mannequin and, you know, most mannequins nowadays, they, they're very minimalist, but this thing was, it had quite a bit of features to it, you know, enough to where I thought it was terrifying. Like I know that I had recurring <laughs> nightmares involving this thing after the fact. And where was it from? An antique store. Antique stores, they creep me out just in general because it's like I always think, is there something tied to that object over there? I really like it, but also I don't want to take it home to find out. Yeah, look up old mannequins and you'll see what I'm talking about because they usually, I mean, they would give them eyes and mouths, etc. And, you know, they would would go much further out to make mannequins. They would would paint paint those faces right on there. I'm going to talk about mannequins later, but... That that old... Mickey Mouse ashtray from the antique store definitely has a ghost haunting it. You never know, Alex. What if there's the ghost of Walt Disney attached to that ashtray? Could be. I bring him home and he just horrifies me. Or he teaches you how to draw. He's not going to teach me how to draw. He'd say that girl has no talent. He'd put you to work. He probably wouldn't pay you what you're worth, but yeah. Oh, my gosh. All right. I think it's time to hop on into the topic and... James, you're starting us off today, right? I am. Do it. Uh, yeah. Um, right off the bat, let's let's discuss what is the Uncanny Valley because this was requested, and and yes, you see, you you didn't uh, you'd never heard of this term uh, previously. The Uncanny Valley isn't a concept, and it's hypothetical, but let's face facts; it's very observable. Wherein the closer something gets to being human. But falls short, that's very important. The closer something gets to a human likeness, the more unnerved we feel by it. And we see this with phobias in relation to things that are short of human. Um, And one of the more interesting ones that I have seen, because it occurs completely in nature, would be uh, Hekigani. So there uh, there is a crab that uh, the carapace resembles a samurai's face. And it's associated with a lot of peculiar stories. Some people say that it's uh, the result of uh, the Battle of Dan Ura, wherein the seven-year-old emperor at the time, they, they, they were losing the battle, and Tokiko, his retainer, uh, leapt with him into the water, and they 
you know, they drowned. Like he drowned the child emperor. Uh, and he did this so they wouldn't be captured. This wasn't like an act of cruelty. Quite the contrary, it was an act of mercy. But it was such a um, dramatic and jarring battle. I mean, think about it. The child emperor of the nation was drowned after a massive naval defeat. So some people claim that uh, the, the samurai retainers of the boy, including possibly the boy himself, became those crabs. Hmm. And other people claim that those crabs look that way because they eat the dead. So right hmm. immediately we see this cultural association between human death and these crabs. Well, Carl Sagan actually mentions this, and this is not a fact. We don't know this for a fact, but some people claim that this is actually, that, that the crabs exist because of the Uncanny Valley. Now, that might sound very strange, but think about this for a moment. We just established that as something approaches a human visage or form, that we become frightened of it. Well, yeah. it's postulated, and it was originally by Julian Huxley postulated this, but Carl Sagan definitely um, uh, was, a, was a, a follower of this hypothesis, supporter is that fishermen would catch these uh, crabs and either out of respect for the warriors from Dan Noura or more, more likely fear because who wants a crab that looks like a face would actually throw them back, which means that the crabs that closer resembled faces weren't caught and eaten, which means that they became more and more human-like in that appearance. Now, that has some interesting implications because, one, it means that in nature, something that resembles humans, even if it's very far evolutionarily from a person, would have an advantage <laughs> by resembling us. So if that was the case, you'd think there would actually be quite a few more organisms that do resemble people. Yeah. But I'm going to look at some other possibilities. And a lot of this is just me spitballing. A lot of this isn't from anywhere in particular. This is something I have given a lot of thought to. Um, of course. So one thing to note about human beings is that we are originally not predatory, but we have predatory features. And this is a coincidence. Um, we have forward-facing eyes because depth perception was very important in being a primate because tree life meant that you really had to be good at gauging distances. That's a very unusual trait for an herbivore. And I'm not saying we're herbivores, but we're definitely not uh, the predatory creatures that you could compare most forward-facing eyes to, like a tiger, for example. And we've talked about this before, that if human beings had predatory features, we would look like a werewolf. Well, yeah. you could argue that the reason why we're frightened of human features is actually because they resemble predatory features. And we see this all over the place in nature. Um, aposomatism, which I think I've mentioned before on the show, is yeah. the, actually, maybe it was the last episode, is the tendency of toxic animals to have vibrant colors. Well, yeah. other examples of this uh, would be a lot of animals, moths really, really in particular, tend to have uh, false eyes on their rear wings. And the reason so why this, yeah, and the reason why is because if a predatory animal were to attempt to attack them, two things would happen. One, they would be confused as to where the head was. So if they were willing to attack, they would attack the wrong area. 
Or they might be frightened because they see a pair of forward-facing, unblinking eyes, which is scary no matter what species you are. Yeah. So maybe that's part of why we're afraid of the uncanny valley. I am more inclined to think that uh, I have two theories, and they're not 100% mine. I'm sure other people have come up with it, but again, this is all me spitballing here. But I have two theories as to why it's evolved in human beings. The first is very, very logical, and the second is very, very outlandish. So let's start with the more logical one. I think this makes the absolute most sense. So what is one of the biggest threats to human beings on Earth? Other humans. Other humans. That's a big one, Mm -hmm. and that's absolutely part of why we might be afraid of humans. However, we also congregate among other humans. So an innate fear probably wouldn't be beneficial. Can anybody think of anything else that would be a, a real problem to a human being? Dolphin uprising. Dolphin uprising. <laughs> um, uh, being alone. Being okay. alone. That's yeah. And then the weather. And the, the weather, <laughs> sure. Uh, well, yeah. The the eye of the hurricane. I <laughs> uncanny valley. Toxic spiders. I thought for sure one of you would get it. Um, disease. Disease. Well, James, now I feel like you think we're stupid. Well, I don't. No, no, he doesn't think anymore. Now he knows. <laughs> oh my God. Disease, you guys. So, so what would be some signs for a human being that disease is present? Because you got to remember, germ theory didn't come about until like a hundred years ago. Little, actually, a little, about two two hundred years ago. So we didn't really understand what caused diseases, and there was all sorts of cultural myths about diseases. But evolutionarily. What would be something that would tell us, hey, maybe I should run in the other direction? And that would be people acting improperly. So human beings twitching, convulsing, decaying. Oh, no. I know where this is going. Yeah. Think about, and no offense to any of our listeners who might have leprosy, but think about the innate fear response a person has when they see someone who has leprosy. And then think of the innate fear response a person would have to, say, a one-armed mannequin or uh, something like the, the, the Hekagani crab that falls short of looking like a person. Really, it's a great way for a human being to gauge when interacting with another human being, something's not kosher here. Something's not right. I don't need to be here. And that instinct would prevent a person from getting within proximity to somebody who has it easy. And we can see this with other fears. We, uh, and, and, and disgust as well. Disgust and fear are not the same thing. We use phobia to describe both, but human beings aren't very fond of sewage. We don't find it very appetizing. You don't really hear too often about people saying, Hey, let's all go swimming in a septic tank because it's a vector for disease. It's innately Ugh. unpleasant to us. Well, and similarly, people are afraid of corpses. We don't really want to hang out with dead people. It's, it's always jarring and alarming when you see one of those news stories where somebody's got their dead wife in their house with them for like 20 years. We're freaked out yeah. by that. Well, you could argue that the uncanny valley fear response is the same thing. It's a way for us to acknowledge and interpret behaviors or traits that we would associate with falling sick and dying on a very, very subconscious and instinctive level, not a logical level. I think that's probably the most likely reason why human beings evolved the uncanny valley. And to prove 
that it, uh, it, it it's the most logical explanation, we actually see this in other animals. We see this in primates, for example. Well, we are primates, but we see it in other primates where if something is uh, illustrated to look like one of their own species, but it's not, you know, ideal, it's more doll-like, they find it disturbing. They are afraid of it. So, and we see this even, um, and I just now thought of this, you know, there's been a lot of those uh, YouTube videos lately where they, they'll take like a monkey or a bear or some animal, a giraffe, and they'll like make a, a little robotic version and put a camera in it to observe the other ones. And quite often it gets attacked <laughs> by the animals that it's supposed to be infiltrating. Well, why is that? <laughs> because something's not right with it. You know, it's like, yeah. what's going on with this baby monkey that's like twitching and, and making a gyroscope noise? <laughs> like they freak out and they kill it because it's not supposed to be like that. So I think that's a very logical explanation. Another more outlandish explanation yeah. is a call. <laughs> is a callback to another episode. Human predators, remember? Yeah. What if the reason why we are disturbed by that sort of behavior and that sorts of appearances is actually a warning sign to tell us that the absolute enemy of humanity is present, whether that's lizard people or extra-dimensional beings or something that evolved alongside us? What if that's how we know that we're dealing with a human predator. I mean, think about it. And I, I'm, this may sound like I'm joking, but I'm dead serious. People are creeped out by Mark Zuckerberg because he elicits an uncanny valley response. Oh like, gosh. think about it. That picture of I've him surfing. i never thought about that yeah. before. Yeah, his proportions aren't quite right. His eyes are just a little too big. The coloration's just a little wonky. His, his facial complexion's just a little too pale, a little too data-like. To be the way he carries a person. himself. Yeah, the way he moves. Yeah. So I think that you could argue that maybe if there are uh if there really is a human predator that's hiding in plain sight, maybe that's why we have that fear response. Whew. Yeah, that is outlandish, but it's also kind of like very interesting to think mm. about. That's all I got. That's the end of my talk. That's James. That's James's part. I guess it's my turn, right? Yep. Yeah, those are interesting. All right. Let me find my my notes. I was given the task of having real life examples of the Uncanny Valley. Um, And James, I just want to not thank you for this one because I (laughs) looked into a lot of real life examples and... I was genuinely shocked that you did not freak out when I started talking about human predators. I, you know what? I'm holding myself together over here, James, because I'm thinking, okay, like in the whole, one of the things that I looked into was dolls and Mm. like marionettes and things. There's so many horror movies about murdering dolls. Oh yeah. It's like, that's a fun thought. How many horror movies are there that have non-humanoid monsters? Very few, especially since 1950. Yeah. Let's, let's start off talking about dolls, you guys. Okay. I'm going to rip the Band-Aid off and just get this one over with because, again, when I was younger, I had these horrible porcelain dolls in my room that just scared the crap out of me. And so dolls just, they, they creep me out. But now that I'm thinking about it, now that I am thinking about it, like those dolls are probably where a lot of the creepy paranormal stuff started happening in my life because I was around that age when I started becoming more attuned to things. Mm. Okay. So. That's, a, that's a theory right there. Maybe they just draw in spirits and that's why we're afraid of them. 
It's possible. That's why I ugh. No, let's not talk about dolls. Well, actually, no, I have to talk about dolls. That's what I'm talking about right now. Um, but dolls' creepiness factor—it's pretty universal because you know, the, again, there are movies. They're chock full of killer dolls like Chucky and Annabelle, and um, that uh, isn't the saw. The saw guy a doll? Yes. No, he just uses. He just uses a doll. Well, yeah, yeah but, but I mean, when we think of of uh, shoot, what's his flipping name? It's got saw in the name. Jigsaw. Jigsaw. When we think of Jigsaw, Jigsaw. we think of that, though. We don't think of the the dude. Stop it, Alex. So so I found a really great article on Vice that was about why dolls are so scary on a psychological level. And they interviewed a cognitive neuroscientist from Dartmouth named Thalia Wheatley. And she's been doing research on this. And she points out that humans are primed to pay attention to faces. So we're always looking out for them, like wherever we go. So we basically, we basically start doing that like right out of the womb. Because there have actually been experiments that have found that babies will stare at a human face more than they'll stare at an object. Or also then they'll stare at an object that has like the facial features of a human, but they're in the wrong place. So even from like the infant stage, we're looking out for faces because that's a way to like point to something and say, Hey, you know, if you're a baby and you can't do anything, you're just like a little potato and you need to survive. You're going to need somebody to help you. And so we're always looking out for that. You know what I mean? Interesting. Yeah. And apparently we recognize faces very quickly within 170 milliseconds quickly. And that's also why we might see faces in inanimate objects. We're always looking for that pattern of two dots and a curve for a mouth. So that's why we see faces in in things that are not actually real. Our our lovely brains will like look at a car and see the headlights and the grill and be like, oh, look, it's an adorable little face. Look at that cute little car. But we know in our brain that car is not real. It's a car. It doesn't have a brain and, you know, it's not thinking about things. Uh, have you not seen the documentary Cars and Cars 2? <laughs> <laughs> You're going to bring that up. <laughs> but, but when we make out a face on a horrifying human-like doll, it looks real, but we know it's not alive. And that juxtaposition is what really gives it its creepiness factor. It gives us the willies. And Wheatley did some experiments where she tested to see what areas of the brain are triggered when we see a face and how long it takes to distinguish it as belonging to a real breathing thinking entity. And there's this really quick stage where we go, oh, that's a face. Like when we see something, you see the two dots in the curved mouth, it's a face. Mm. But then the second stage kicks in and that's when we stop to think, does this thing have thoughts and emotions? And with some faces we know immediately, that's not real. I'm not worried about it. I don't. Ha- I can let my guard down. But then when things like dolls and mannequins and marionettes are about, we look at that and our brain says, oh, that looks more human. Sometimes we can go immediately. That's not real. But sometimes we kind of have to think about it in our brain, like just that, that moment of like thinking, is it real? Is it not? Like it's just making me uneasy. You know what I mean? Hmm. And then another really interesting tidbit from Wheatley's research was when humans start to fall into the uncanny valley with dolls and whatnot, what age does it occur? Do you guys have any guess as to what age it is when children start to kind of get creeped out by things? Hmm. Uh, Two. Two? James, do you have a guess? I'd say 18 months. 18 months. Wow, you guys are both really off. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) No, no. Kids, um, kids don't think that things are creepy 
early on like adults do. I've seen so, a lot of like YouTube vids of like little babies flipping out over stuff that's creepy. Yeah, but like I don't know, like our dog, and maybe this is just a, our personal story, but Gwen. She tends to be more attracted to the creepier toys versus the toys that are like cute, have like cute faces with the big pupils and stuff. That's true. Yeah, like she, we've we've been given three dolls, three dolls in her life that Alex and I have looked at and just immediately been like, let's get rid of this thing. Like, <laughs> this is horrifying. Those are always the ones that she wants to keep. Interesting. <laughs> she had one doll when she she was given to us before she was born and then there's also this little porcelain doll that we got remember that memorial day that little tiny oh yeah thing? it was awful yeah it was awful <laughs> yeah but anyway. it was really odd that one night when we walked in and they were dancing on the ceiling <laughs> <laughs> uh, well it never fails if it's creepy Gwen's gonna want it but according to these studies um, it's believed that around the age of nine is when kids start noticing the uncanny valley and that's when they start to recognize things as like having souls and like, and it's a living thing. It's got a mind and it can think on its own. Prior to that, it's like, well, they see things. They might be creeped out by certain things for any, you know, given reason, but they don't really regard it as, you know, being something hmm. that can think on its own. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 So anyways, let's move on now to another creepy baby. You guys, I'm talking about mannequins and James, James is frightened of the antique store mannequin. So mm-hmm. it's like, it's a very real example of a real life uncanny Valley. So James has been, Alex, have you ever been creeped out by a mannequin when I'm you were out sure. shopping? I'm sure I've seen one. I'm like, Ooh. Yeah. I like the ones that get me are the ones with the wigs. Like it's got that. Glossy oh, see for skin. me, like the, the ones without hair are way scarier. Uh, see if it doesn't have hair. And I can see it. I guess it really kind of depends upon like the matte texture. Like, does it look like it's got real skin or not? But anyway, it's the ones that walk towards me that scare me the most. That scare you the most. <laughs> what? Well, like, I feel like the ones that scare me the most are the ones that have the blunt cut neon wigs. Have you ever been in a store that had those? Yeah. Mannequins don't scare me. Mannequins. Oh man. I remember <laughs> when I was little, we, I went shopping. I feel like I was like at Dillard's or Macy's or something with my mom. And there's a mannequin that was wearing an outfit that looked almost identical to my mom's. And I thought it was my mom. So I'm just standing next to it. Like, when are we going to go? And then I realized it's not a real person. Oh, my God. It's a mannequin. <laughs> I don't know what that says about Maybe my- you should have kept that one to <laughs> yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, they look human, but they're not human. So the human mind might have trouble grappling with that uncanny valley part there. I found an article. Alex, stop laughing at me. Really, you have trouble traveling with organic and inorganic. Listen, I was, I was a special child, but I found on Forbes.com an article from 2012 that was actually about mannequins that have cameras in their eyes because there are stores that use these. Hmm. Basically, just to kind of keep watch over the store, you know? Do they look like real eyes and they just move and they follow you? Like yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's creepy. Like Scooby-Doo. Yeah. <laughs> but there, there are stores that use these, and they, uh, they're not real, obviously. But at the same time, it's like they are actually watching us, so they're a little bit more off-putting than just your traditional mannequin. But of these spy mannequins, a professor of psychology at UNC named Kurt Gray had this to say of them. He said, "Quote: When I met Leonardo, which is one of those mannequins that had the eyeballs in it, the the camera eyes, it was the creepiest thing." 
in his eyes were these two cameras and there were a monitor behind him so I could see how he saw me. We're hesitant to assign minds to machines. They're not supposed to have them. Seeing the world... <laughs> I just burped or something. <laughs> Seeing the world is a human-lived experience. When a machine does it, it's creepier. We start wondering, what does the mannequin think of me? What does it feel? Does it think I'm shoplifting? Does it think I'm unfashionable? It blurs that line between machine and human, end quote. It's a camera. Yeah, but it's, it's a, then this is another thing you have to think about. Okay. Yeah. That mannequin has cameras in its eyes, but on the other end of those cameras, there's a person, an actual person that is watching me right now. They're not just recording this video to, you know, have it. (laughs) They're watching me. It's different, Alex. See, Alex, Mr. Not creeped out by anything over here. And the last thing I'll talk about, and Alex, I think that one of these things will ultimately creep you out. But mm-hmm. one of the most obvious real-life examples of the Uncanny Valley, and that is robots. Mm. Alex, can you roll your R's? No. Grow robots. <laughs> 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 he can't do it. But they're, they're getting more lifelike nowadays, obviously. But they're still not 100% lifelike, which is why they're so creepy. And with all of these companies out there trying to create true artificial intelligence, you put that into a robot that looks more realistic and it might actually be able to think. No, that scares me. Mm-hmm. I like it. But some of the most notable creepy human-esque robots include Sophia. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the robot <laughs> that has citizenship in Saudi Arabia. Yeah, she's creepy. Yeah, she's creepy. And she's actually on record saying that she'll destroy all humans. So she's a keeper. Oh, I like her already. <laughs> she, was, she was designed to fit into various job positions. So just what we need, you guys. Robots taking our precious jobs. Mm, especially Sophia's when they want to kill us. Sophia's Put here lead to do paint it. and everything. <laughs> <laughs> then we got Geminoid, which is actually an android that is... Um, this one sounds adorable. He's not, though. He's actually, he's a robot that was designed by a man named Hiroshi Ishiguro. Oh, I know this guy, his, yeah. Yeah, and his own likeness. And to be honest, it's probably one of the more realistic ones that I've seen. I did not see it move, which probably that would have been the line for me. But, like, just looking at it from afar, it looks real. But it still has those dead eyes. But it's made to mimic human movements. And according to spectrum.ieee.org, was that three E's? It's got three E's. That's where I found this great list of creepy human-like robots. And the goal with this particular machine is to integrate them into everyday life, just like Sophia. And they wrote of them, quote, they'll do household chores, care for the elderly, assist with physical therapy, monitor the sick at hospitals, teach classes, serve cappuccinos at Starbucks, you name it. But to be accepted in these roles, robots must have to behave less like machines and more like us. Mm. So... Alex, let me show you a picture really quickly. James, you can look one up. Of Geminoid. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, I know Geminoid. I, I just looked up. I just looked up Geminoid. Oh okay, you already know he he's looks horrifying because like. his face doesn't move like ours, so he looks like a frog man. Yeah, he's. If you, you guys have seen Whitney Cummings and uh, the sex robot she made of herself, well, bought of herself, right? No, no. I've not seen. That. It's hilarious. Alex is looking it up real quick. Will forever taint my search history. Yeah, I remember when she was she was on Joe Rogan and she like brought it with her. <laughs> oh, that is so bizarre. That is so bizarre. It's funny. Get a robot made after you. Only the wealthy can afford that. Mm. Not that I would want it. James, do you have a robot, James, at your house? Just me. 
I was about to say, maybe James is just a robot. She did a stand-up special with it. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the last one I'll mention, Alex, you need to look up this one, okay? All right. It's a little sperm-like creeper robot named Telenoid, spelled T-E-L-E-N-O-I-D. And he's this milky white. Oh, I see him. He looks like the human being from Community, their mascot. <laughs> <He does. laughs> oh my gosh. It looks he's, it looks like photorealistic Casper. He's oh exactly. That's what I was gonna he's, say. He's, this lady looks so happy hugging him. She does. But he's got this milky white skin. He has little stubs for arms and he's no legs. They come down to this little rounded point. And he has facial features, but it's not a face. No. So it's very bizarre. And he's designed, he's also designed by Hishi, uh, Hiroshi Ishiguro, Ishiguro, the guy who designed Geminoid, basically to be like a mobile device. This is how they kind of explained huh. it. I watched a little video, but you connect him to the internet, and then he's going to mimic your voice and face and head motions. So he'll act exactly like you, but if you were a creepy robot that looked like a not so friendly Casper. Because James mentioned he looks like a not yeah, so friendly cat. I mean, it, it, looks, it looks like a sperm and a dolphin had a kid. <laughs> you know what? That's it a does. pretty good like approximation. <laughs> well, I this in this demo they had, they basically ha- hand a person this robot. So you're holding the robot in front of you like a baby and holding it away from you. And then there's somebody on the other side of a camera who's talking into the camera and it like turns its head like you do. And then it says what you say and, it's just kind of like a um, like a mobile device, a robot mobile device, if you really want that. This feels like a war crime. It looks horrifying. It's awful. But the researchers say their main goal and application for it would be to assist the elderly, which maybe it would make them happy. I feel like it would just horrify me and give me I nightmares. I mean, shorten lifespans, maybe. That's, it's, it's pretty creepy. <laughs> Help them out the door, maybe. These things are terrifying. <laughs> These are terrifying. I saw. I saw that. It. I think it said that the prototype was like thirty five thousand dollars to build, and then wow. they they were hoping to get them onto the market for. I think it was eight thousand dollars, seven thousand or eight thousand dollars. Oh, well, I Gee. hope when I'm old, this thing is not ready. <laughs> I well, they yeah. they're also making little pocket sized ones. I can't remember the name of them, but pretty sure it's just ones. a reservoir for the souls of the people it interacts with. Mm, I think that would make more sense. <laughs> it's, it's horrifying. It's the creepiest one by far. But anyways, after looking at all this, I personally came up to my own conclusions. I was like, James. I pulled a James here, and it's like, these are just my thoughts and ideas, okay? okay. Are you ready? <laughs> but these are. this is why I think that these types of things induce fear. You know, James, James has got it all figured out. But when it comes to real-life examples, one – Things really scare us, and this one actually does have some ty- scientific basis behind it, but these objects scare us when they f- the facial features contradict one another. So you've got a um, doll that's smiling, but it's got those creepy, devious mm. eyes. Oh, yeah, this whole clown problem. Yeah, mm. that's going to, to, to like, it's going to upset some people. So that's one of the reasons it's disconcerting, too, when these things have odd movements, which is something that James talked a lot about, when they've got those really jerky, just unhuman-like mm. movements. We see that used in like Japanese horror films a lot. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's because it's not normal. It's a big nope for me. If I see somebody moving that way, I'm going to turn and run the other direction. Mm-hmm. Three, when they've got those dead eyes, just like Geminoid, they look real, but you know there's nothing going on behind them. Mm. And then four, on the opposite end of the spectrum with the weird creepy movements is stillness it looks real but it's not moving at all 
Welcome mm. to Creep Town. Yeah. Yay. Like they've got these these I can't remember what they're called. I think they're called like reborn babies or something like oh, that. Oh yeah. I was these, actually thinking about those earlier. Yeah, they're you. baby dolls that look really real, but it's just a doll, so it doesn't move. So it's like you've just got this thing that's not moving mm. that looks like it's real. Yeah. Then the fact that they're like, you know, what's the word? You you can put them in different pieces. It's mm. creepy. Yep. It's creepy, creepy. So that's, you guys, that's what I have in the Uncanny Valley. Yeah. I'm just covering a, f- a few things in film. Film? Yeah. Because, like, you know, we've all seen it. So yeah, since the dawn of film, including some things like Cece mentioned, puppets, stuff like that that no. have been in film. Oof. We've been seeing the Uncanny Valley kind of play out on screen. Uh, sometimes it plays out in makeup effects, most notably in the era of like slasher movies, like where we see a, a prop head that is uh, quickly smashed into oblivion, like in a horror movie or something like that. Yeah. And you just see, but you, there's those moments where you see it for a second and you're like, what is that? <laughs> what is that? And But really... I don't think the Uncanny Valley, I mean, obviously it prevented itself before, but I don't think it really hit quite as eerily as it did when CGI got really good in like the mid 2000s, I would say, is like when it really got pretty good. But it's like the lack of features when they present something like this. So, and. One of the my first realizations of like maybe bad CGI that wasn't quite Uncanny Valley was the third Matrix film. There's a bunch of Neos running around punching people, but their faces are kind of like whited out almost because the CGI isn't good enough to make them super detailed. Mm-hmm. So they're not really creepy. You but can this, tell yeah. they're not real. Yeah, and that's like, if I'm remembering right, the, the third Matrix is like 2003 or something like that. <coughs> but really, it's when the Uncanny Valley is like, I feel like it's almost after we surpass the Uncanny Valley, and then we take these steps back. So we see it a lot lately, especially with like films in, uh, not necessarily, but mid-2000s. Polar Express being, a lot of people reference this movie which is, for those that don't know, completely CGI movie. It's all motion capture. One of the first films to ever be completely motion capture. I think if you... That and Final Fantasy, The Spirits Within, are the two films that had complete motion capture. But that one had more... Anyway. The Polar, movements are very, like... Well, Polar it's not really even... Yeah, the movements are a little iffy, but it's really like the facial... The faces. Because... CGI in 2004 isn't quite what it was even in 2007, 2008, where it really ramped up pretty quickly. And so there's a lot of features kind of missing and a lot of lifelessness in some of the eyes during some of the moments. Now, a lot of people cite this movie as being completely horrifying. Now, that could be because there's all these children being kidnapped. Yeah. (laughs) Also, which is also terrifying. But for me, this one didn't really quite do it, even though this one is a scary one for a lot of people. It was really after Avatar that I think I found Uncanny, uncanny Valley instances to be more off-putting. <laughs> because looking back at Polar Express, it just feels like it's a stylistic choice almost. Uh, because the, the CGI is so dated that I don't think like the... It doesn't look comfortable. You think dead-eyed Tom Cruise old man is a stylistic choice? (laughs) 
Or not Tom Cruise, Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks. Well, it's not a stylistic choice, but nowadays it looks like it's almost a stylistic choice because the CGI is so dated. It doesn't really kind of look close enough, in my opinion. Yeah, it doesn't look real. It looks like it's CGI. Yeah, I think like back then we probably would have interpreted it that way, but I don't think anymore we probably can. But like a film like Avatar, it kind of masks some of its maybe uncanny valley potential with blue faces and being aliens and stuff like that. But honestly, 2009, I would consider Avatar to be a complete like home run in terms of avoiding the uncanny valley. Oh, absolutely. This, yeah, they're so far stuff, removed that. Uh, yeah, no, I totally agree. Yeah, and, and and you know the lifelike eyes, like eyes, are really the big things that I'm noticing in cinema that are off-putting. Well, perfect so, example: when someone's sick, they have listless, dead eyes. Hmm. James, listen to you. But what what I did think was funny is I was I was kind of trying to think back on what are more recent films that have had those moments where I'm like, that doesn't look quite right. There's something really odd about that. And it's kind of funny because both of them fa- fall under the Disney umbrella. The first is from Captain America Civil War. And actually, one of the earlier moments of the film, Tony Stark is showing off uh, technology to a crowd that essentially le- like allows him to replay memories or at least like fabricate them. Oh, yeah. In a scene where he shows young Tony Stark. Yeah. And it's a little off. Yeah. It, but... It's kind of also hard to put your finger on what is it off? Like, is his skin maybe a little too smooth? Is it the mouth, the eyes? It's really hard to tell. And it's that that really captures your attention Hmm. and is really off-putting. Because you can't quite put your finger on what is the detail. Because it looks great. But you're like, there's something wrong. I think it's the way he moves. Yep. I I think that for me, the thing that creeps me out when I see a movie is the... The body movements. Agreed. I feel like when they're like, at least in the earlier years of CGI, and I remember this specifically in the Harry Potter films, but when they start like flying on their brooms and they're like, they look like they're made of rubber. Yeah. That's kind of what creeped me out. Yeah. But younger. in this instance, most likely it's a, it's a person walking around with dots on their face. And so the only, their movement's totally natural. It's just their face. This would be. I need CG. to rewatch that um, movie. Now, another instance that is, well, real quick about Marvel. I think it's interesting that this one thing really lends itself to the Uncanny Valley because Marvel's actually kind of hit it out of the park with their de-aging and aging effects, like mm. what they did with Kurt Russell and um, Michael Douglas and even Michelle Pfeiffer. Like, they look great younger. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't, I don't, even know how it's possible that they looked as good as they did. <laughs> um, but then we get another Disney movie, Rogue One, the Star Wars story. And this is, there's a character by the name of Grand Moff Tarkin, who is actually from the original trilogy in the film. And in the original trilogy, he was paid by, he was played by Peter Cushing. Now, the interesting thing about the use of his CGI in this is that unlike what they usually do with CGI actors, is that they do the motion capture, put the dots on the face, they're running around in like PJs or whatever, <laughs> and then they overlay it with all the computer graphics. It's what's unusual about this one is that the original mo- or the original actor was dead when they did this. Mm-hmm. He died in '94. This is a movie that came out in 2016. 
That's creepy. Trippy. So, in in general, like I don't know if most people that went and saw this movie knew that this guy was actually dead. And it's also the type of character. It's like, why would you bother CGIing this character? Because he, right. my, my Grandma Tarkin, is like a Star Wars nerd character. No one else is going to know who that <laughs> is, right? And um, see, I went and saw this movie with Cece, and I remember her thinking or saying to me that something looked off about him. <laughs> and I thought the same thing, and I wasn't really even familiar that he was like an original character from the original trilogy. <laughs> But when he turns around, there's something really off. He looks realistic. I gotta look he it up. I can't great. Even remember. But you're looking at him, and then there's these movements, and it's his eye movement. And again, it's that I think it's the eyes. It's it's like this these soulless eyes. <laughs> but this kind of brings me to like this question about not just the uncanny valley, but kind of the ethics of doing this. Like, is it okay to CGI a dead person? into a movie oh, when yeah. they've been dead like this long, like in their estate and their kids and stuff are like, yeah, do it. I don't know about unethical, but I think it's a tasteless cash grab. It's definitely tasteless. Like there's one, the, the, there is one that I think is actually tasteful hmm. and that's Paul Walker in fast seven. Huh. After he died, his brothers came in, did acted out the rest of it with him, and then they send like his character off in this nice little send off. I cried like a baby at the end. Of that yeah, movie. that was a pretty that was a pretty emotional little one. <laughs> but uh, like that one kind of felt tasteful, even though you know you're thinking like, oh, that his brother his brothers just wanted maybe some fame and that type of thing. But it really felt like everybody cared about him, yeah. and this right. was their way to try to send him off. And <laughs> you know they they were all really good friends, so they probably knew what he wanted. This Tarkin thing. I don't know. I mean, they're talking about bringing, uh, oh, what's his name? Uh, Dean. I can't remember his James name. Dean? Like, yeah, they're bringing James Dean back. Yeah, it's, it's all tasteless. But yeah, so I don't know. I don't know if it's like, it's definitely tasteless. I don't really know if it's even ethical. Because I'm at one point, they were wanting Bruce Lee to, I remember this. This was like 10, 15 years ago. They wanted to bring Bruce Lee back for a series of movies. Bruce yeah. Lee back for a series of It's movies. messed up because when you think about it, when someone acts in a movie, what they're doing is they're consenting to lend their likeness and their skills mm-hmm. as an actor, as a thespian, to a intellectual property, to, yes. to an enterprise. And if someone's dead, one, who owns their likeness, and two, I mean, given that they are dead, how can they consent to doing that? So, yeah. yeah, yeah, there is something very wrong about it. I mean, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know what to make of it because, you know, consent of the living is important. Um, and going against the wishes of the dead is wrong. It is unethical. So at what juncture is it acceptable to make use of the likeness of a dead person? And, you know, it gets it gets more complicated when you apply it to other things like there's a spectrum. Like, for example, if somebody said, hey, can we put Elvis's face on a plate? I'd say, yeah. And if they said, hey, can we put Elvis's face on uh, the bumper sticker of a car or something? I'd say, that's tacky, but sure. And if somebody said, hey, can we put Elvis's likeness on adult toys? I would say, whoa, 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 hold up. And then if somebody said, hey, can we uh, make a CGI version of Elvis and, and make, you know, Hawaii movie 18 or whatever, 
I would say no. I would I would actually be more upset by that. And I was upset by the adult toy thing. I'd be more <laughs> upset by the, the CGI, you know, making them for movies. So, yeah, there's something that definitely uh, is triggering my uh, injustice center <laughs> in my brain. <laughs> yeah. You're making James angry. Yeah. Hmm? I, 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 if I was in Hollywood, I'd just be like, use my likeness in movies for the next hundred years and let my family make all the money off of me. <laughs> but that's the thing. All these people are trying to bring back are like, this was way before, you know, likenesses were even really a thing. Yeah. I don't know. But yeah. James Dean, I wonder if he would consent to being in a movie nowadays. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. You're it, tearing all- me apart. yeah so that's uh the uncanny valley the uncanny valley it's everywhere especially with cgi but we've kind of we're kind of pushing past the threshold for the most part i think and i think we won't see much of the end we'll still see it but it won't be very often well, I saw, I saw at least, I mean, just in regular real life examples that they think that when it comes to robots, at least there's going to come a certain point, like after a while, we just become accustomed to it. So it's not as creepy. <sighs> and they think that it's going to kind of fade because the uncanny valley, the concept itself is only really around since the 1970s. Well, yeah, the concept, but surprised. the evolutionary yeah. behavior is, 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 you know, well over yeah. 60,000 years old, probably in the millions of years. I don't actually well, know what's cool data, though. It's like, I, I like that film and stuff and TV shows have been able to take advantage of the uncanny valley and make things creepy on purpose because it's like, you know. Yeah. Well, sometimes the uncanny valley can be fun. Like when it comes to those creepy doll movies, for example, yeah. some people who enjoy that type of film, <laughs> um, you know, it's fun to suspend your disbelief for a little while and, mm. You know it's not real, so haha, it's fun. But if a Chucky doll were gonna <laughs> just pop up next to your bed overnight, like in real life, that would be completely different. But yeah, like they do in real life. Stop it! Has anybody seen that picture of uh, Chucky being carried by a little girl from a film, and then the uh, picture now of Taylor Swift and and uh, Ed Sheeran? No, it's hilarious. We'll have to look it up. Yeah. Ooh. Well, you guys, that's the Uncanny Valley. Do you guys have anything else you want to talk about before we draw from the vase? Hmm. Mm. Nope. I'm ready to draw. Who does our music? Our music is by Grant Cook. You can find it on Amazon Music, Spotify, YouTube Music, anywhere you listen to music. All right, now, swish, swish, swish. Pull one out. All right, you guys. Next week, we are talking about Photography oddities. And this topic was submitted to us by Amanda. If I remember, I think that she submitted this on Instagram. So, Amanda, thank you so much for reaching out via Instagram and sending this topic to us. So, I don't know how exactly we're going to break this up, but we'll we'll figure it out. All right, you guys. Well, you guys, I think that's it for this week's (laughs) episode. Until next time, we hope that you can keep it straight. straight.